my friends, the great experiment. Have you begun? Hit it. Drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. And your people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Would you say you're shattered by today's episode? No? What makes <laughs> you say that? I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I don't, I'm sure you've run into this feeling before. Like, I'm doing great, but not too great. While my wife's mm. out of town. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't want anybody to get the sense that you're enjoying it that much. <laughs> Almost as soon as the door shut behind her, she's on a work trip right now. I uh, lowered the lights a little bit, mm. got into some uh, comfortable, loose-fitting clothing, <laughs> maybe got a drink, mm-hmm. did your toenails, took a bath. <laughs> And then I turned on the most titillating thing I could find on the TV, on the main room TV. And this is a place I'm never allowed to watch such a thing. <laughs> ben, you know I'm talking about the This Old House Roku channel that plays 24 hours of This Old House episodes a day. Did you get a Roku for this specific purpose? No, I have a Samsung TV and... Samsung TVs seem to have a thousand channels of just television show specific channels. Like there's a Price is Right channel that just plays 24 hours of Price is Right. Wow. Or This Old House or uh, Bar Rescue. Like there's a, there's a <laughs> channel for every show. It's amazing. <laughs> you have Samsung televisions in this place and you don't have them on Bar Rescue. You're going to kill somebody. <laughs> If we put the Bar Rescue channel on, people would see that you're wearing the same sport coat in that episode as you are here today. John Taffer's research has indicated a median household income of whatever the Max Fund Drive was able to make. <laughs> oh, man. The, the voiceover guy on that show might be secretly the greatest thing about it. One of my favorite aspects to it is like, Taffer has found black mold in the walk-in. Right. He is screaming his head off about killing people in there. And then the voiceover comes in and is like, black mold is breathed in through the lungs. The lungs yeah. are the part of the body that processes oxygen. Except for it's like, it's like black mold is breathed in through the lung. The lungs are the part of the body that processes oxygen, leading to toxic sock syndrome and even death. <laughs> It's so great. <laughs> and it, it's like the same style of animation that they have on like America's Test Kitchen when they're explaining how like glutenin and gliadin <laughs> form the structure of bread. Yeah. Except for they're talking about like how the fucking fungus in the in the beer taps is gonna kill the patrons of the bar. It's so great. So yeah, I've been I've been hitting the little jump button, the, the uh-huh. button that goes between channels between Bar Rescue and This Old House. And I have not turned off the TV in the living room. It's just wow. on all the time. It's just it's on right now? Yeah, it's on right now. <laughs> I'm hoping that it catches on with Ripley because she has been kind of a nervous wreck Aww. since my wife is, has been gone on her work trip. 
and has sort of backslid into the not super comfortable being left alone without barking her head off the entire time kind of mode. So dang, we're we're relearning how to be alone again. The both of us, <laughs> me and Ripley. <laughs> well, uh, I hope your alone time at least enabled you to install the Paramount Screeners app on the TV in the main room and watch a screener of today's episode of Star Trek colon, the final season, colon, Picard. Well, you'd think so, but I've been unable to install that screener app on anything besides an Apple TV. Like, oh, I can't dang. do it on in any of the TV software that we've got. Ah. So, uh, have you been able to do that? I just, I have Apple TVs on, yeah. on the two in my house, so that's... There you uh, go. Yeah. That has been my solution. I'm sure there's a word for it, but you've done that thing where you've given up any chance of installing the app on a TV without mm. Apple TV. And one could say you've surrendered <laughs> to that device. Yeah, yeah. I've given everything to that device. And uh, we'll see how that plays out for me, Adam. It's uh, season three, episode eight of Star Trek colon Picard colon the final season. Surrender. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. can't believe it's episode eight. Eight of ten. Yeah. Two more episodes left after this. Yeah. What are they going to even do? <laughs> I mean, we, we can add it up at the end of this episode, but what did they even do this episode? I don't, did you watch a different episode than I did? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I guess they did some pretty big stuff here. Some fairly significant turns of events in this episode, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It starts in a way that we think will be maybe some music against some shots of space, but it's not. It's actually a reflection of Vatic sparking her cigarillo from the captain's chair on the bridge of the Titan. Uh, the camera pulls back, and uh, we see that that's a reflection on that circular oculus at the top of the bridge. You, you were recently on an episode of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the Maximum Fun podcast where they decide the definitive answers to meaningless debates. Right. And you are part of a, uh, a triumvirate deciding what's the best Star Trek starship. It's true. You guys talked a lot about the starship in Prodigy, how it's, it's glass that goes all the way back. It's like that lucid air car where the, <laughs> the windshield is the same piece of glass as the yeah. skylight. It's structure. Window is structure. Yeah. Yeah. I like this pole. This is a nice composition here. Yeah. It was cool. We learn in this scene that the Titan does not have a working smoke alarm. That's one of the many damaged parts of the ship, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, they're shutting down systems, and she's calling some of them out, but I think that her her henchmen are, are kind of reading between the lines on some other systems to shut down. How weird do you think secondhand cigarette smoke is to a person in this century on this ship? Do you think it, it's gross to them? Right, right. Do you think it smells kind of good the way it now does to me? There's a shot where she drops the cigarillo and like stamps it out. Yeah. And I a little bit wanted to see it like turn into goo and absorb back into her foot and oh, have that have been, been great. part of her changeling, you know. That's some T one thousand shit right there. Right. Yeah. That would have been cool. Cigarillo smoke. 
floats through the atmosphere, and if it is not sucked into a negative air recovery system, can be inhaled into the lungs, causing cancer and even death. Star Trek podcasters can sometimes have good ideas about punching up scenes like this. <laughs> but Benjamin R. Harrison has never been invited to a writer's room. So he's forced to record his podcast in creative obscurity. <laughs> You're shooting this show in Southern California. There's no smoking allowed on set. You're going to kill somebody. Killing someone involves taking their life force. <laughs> Until there's no biometric readings left whatsoever. In the cultures of the Amazon rainforest, there are several different <laughs> levels of death. But in modern Western culture, death is a binary and involves the complete lack of possibility of coming back to life. Vatic is doing that big bad guy energy of like being very dramatic with the things that she takes away from the crew and kind of makes it about an ability she has to visit the same terrors onto the crew of the Titan as were visited upon her as an experiment. Right. I can make the halls boil or the crew mess snow with cold. She's got all the marbles. She starts cutting off a bunch of systems. We're talking comms. We're talking lights. Her dudes are still wasting Starfleets all over the ship and like closing them in to corridors. And crew people are absolutely brimming with fecal matter and urine. Yeah. And they were... Brimming. <laughs> she's yeah. doing that thing where she's like uh, moving her hands, like twinkling her hands, like she's the conductor of an orchestra. Yeah. She's tar, right? <laughs> she, she's tar, but if one of tar's hands was really scary. Right. She's a tarrarist. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you, Terry Adam's the host of a Star Trek podcast that is known for wordplay. <laughs> Being known for wordplay is how you develop a career of podcasting obscurity, never to be invited into a Star Trek writer's room. It's like comedy, but not quite. It's what's called comedy adjacent. <laughs> Everyone's on the bridge except for Picard and Beverly and Jack and the LaForges, right? It's like... Uh, Shaw and Seven are the highest ranking people on the bridge. The rest are, are just the rest of the bridge crew. And we know relatively little about them. Yeah, but they are the hostages. And so, yeah. you know, trapped down in Six Bay, Jack has this idea that he might like astral project himself into the hallway and Jason Bourne his way through the bad guys up to the bridge by taking over the birdie of an armed security guy that's out there. And uh, this does not go great. Yeah, he fucks around with being Teen Wolf and finds out. <laughs> and unfortunately, this other guy takes the fall. Adam, we haven't recorded our Teen Wolf Boko yet. I don't know what I that know. means. I'm I'm really excited to do that. <laughs> hey, here's a question for you. Yeah. Could Jack Teen Wolf his way into a changeling? And is the only reason we haven't seen that because he hasn't tried or because it's not possible? I don't know. The answer to that. 
I mean, I, I would like to see him whiff on that. Like, yeah. yeah. Especially in that scene in the last episode where Crash almost got killed by that uh, Eyes Wide Shut guy. Like, that would have been a fun moment to see him try and fail that. Right. Like, you see, you see that fisheye effect as he goes through the door and it, like, bounces yeah. off the mask a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, you can't get through that mask. Yeah. No way. Did you notice that one of the Titan Bridge officers looked like Cindy Lou Who? Who was no more than two. Yeah. Did what kind of alien is that? The crier. What the hell kind of alien is that? Who alien? <laughs> the trade that's being proposed is a, sort of a Jack for hostages kind of situation. Yeah, and Jack is like, maybe I should, <laughs> but that's that's stepped on pretty quickly. Even entertaining the idea makes Jack's re-election bid just totally fail. Yeah, next yeah. time around, it sucks. But uh, over on the Shrike, Riker and Troy are uh, sort of recovering from having been tortured and like going like, man, I hope I hope giving that code to them that shows that the captain is in duress worked out the way we hoped it to. Because they're just like brimming with confidence. Like, yeah, I'm sure Picard, you know, has Vatic on the ropes now. There's a lot about this scene that I had questions about. Maybe mostly that is this a scene like keeping your prisoners together is a no no, and I think most people recognize that, right? But is this bad guy being dumb or bad guy being confident? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely read it as hubris. Yeah, it seems like not that many people on the Shrike keeping an eye on things at this point, also. Sure, doesn't. Yeah. So they're talking through, you know, like Troy had someone that appeared to be Riker show up at the house on the Penthe. It's pretty charming, too. Really? She just had to bang him, though. <laughs> yeah, well, he was bad at making pizza and good at sex. And uh, yeah. in that way, just like Riker and the opposite of me. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes is obviously, you know, allowed to do whatever makes him happy. But when you watch him go from sincere to quippy as fast as he does in the scene, it really makes you wonder why he doesn't act more often because he's so good at it. Yeah, he's he's really great. I thought they were both really great in this scene. It's a yeah. tough scene. I guess it's sort of hard to call it one scene because we kind of come back to mm -hmm. this a bunch of times. I imagine they shot this all kind of together, though, and it felt yeah. like one scene because it's like, one place that they're having what seems like a long conversation that takes place against the, the plot of the rest of the episode. Right. Up on the bridge of the Titan, Shaw is fucking furious at Seven for not killing him when he was on the elevator with Vatic. Like, I guess there's like a button that you can hit to just blow up the contents of the turbo lift. Is that what could have happened? That's amazing. That's sort of what I was, I mean, I guess they could have thrown like a grenade in there or something, but yeah. I guess it would have to be that way because if you just snipped the wires of the elevator, like a, a changeling's probably going to survive the drop. Right. It's yeah. got to blow up. It would just splat and then recoagulate. I love the idea of like, we don't lock the door to the bridge. We blow up the turbo lift <laughs> at the doorway Yeah, as a defense device. Her point is like, I would have killed you along with Vatic. And he makes the point that like, this is not the 
good feelings about every decision we have to make club. Like there are bad things coming if Vatic gets what she wants and it looks like she's going to now. Is this another instance of the seven retcon of the first two seasons of Picard? Because the Fenris Ranger version of seven, I think would recognize the math of this. Right. And wouldn't need to be convinced, you know? Yeah. I thought about that a little bit because there's also a trust in the capabilities of others thing that Mm -hmm. Shaw is not really doing Yeah, here. Like Shaw does not believe that they're going to get out of this scrape in this moment. He thinks that she's basically sold them out. Like that was the one opportunity that they had to defeat Vatic and she squandered it out of a kind of naive desire to save his life. And I think where I came down is Seven believes that like Picard and company are capable of outfoxing Vatic still and killing Shaw would be like senseless in this moment. That's really the thing running in the background is like absent Picard and Beverly elsewhere on the ship, everyone's having to assume that maybe waiting this out and seeing what they're able to devise is the right choice, the less, the least risky choice right. of everything on the table. But I totally understand why Shaw is not thinking that way. <laughs> right, right. So. I mean, this is in keeping with his core character belief of of not wanting to trust in Picard at all. Right. The only trust he's placed in Picard has been so fucking grudging up till now that uh, yeah. it wouldn't make sense for him to be like, yeah, we should let Picard save the day. Are the changelings making different sounds than what we've heard before? I feel like their clicks and pops of the early episodes have turned into a kind of oinking, like a a porcine (laughs) oinking. Did you get that in this scene? I didn't detect swine, but I I like that you did. Yeah, I'm kind of digging on the swine sound in this scene. Maybe that's a temporary. That's an FPO sound. Weird. Very appropriate for this uh, this Passover episode of Greatest Track to have some some right. piggy changelings here. Why won't Vatic just go get Jack also? Like, this is another thing. Vatic always chooses drama mm-hmm. over, you know, using the tech that she's stolen. I mean, she's got the ship. She's got the sensors. Yeah. Has the show told us why she can't use those things? It hasn't. It also hasn't told us why she couldn't just, like, transporter him to the bridge and yeah i was thinking like maybe in the writer's room it's like we used transport inhibitors earlier this season it would be like really annoying and boring to have to write a bunch of dialogue to like reestablish that they exist i mean a shorter amount of dialogue could be that it is necessary for jack to want to give himself to vatic in some way oh. like in in some sort of mystical sense like you can't have jack unless he wants it right Well, he sure does. He wants to turn himself in, but Picard makes the very smart point that like the second you go up there, she has no reason to leave any of us alive. So she's going to take you and get on her ship and blow this ship up and go. And that just kind of puts them in between a rock and a hard place. And he's like, I'm not a changeling. I don't know why the fuck she wants me. And everybody's like, but are you... I mean, can you say you're also not a teen wolf? (laughs) And he's unwilling to dispute that. Yeah. This may indeed be why they've been hunting you. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Dad. What the hell am I going to do? He thinks that she wants to take him back to the Great Link also, which... What would a teen wolf do there? Yeah, there's no vans to surf on. No. 
Now, would he drink out of the Great Link like a like a bowl of water? Mm. They probably don't like that, right? No. Is it like uh, going on a hike where you're supposed to like walk a certain distance from the Great Link if you if you want to relieve yourself? Also, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, don't get your gold in with our gold. We don't like that. The last time we saw the Great Link, it seemed like there was a very tiny island in the middle of it, <laughs> yeah. and there was no distance sufficient. Yeah. To pee on it. No. Yeah. You got to dig a deep hole in that little island. <laughs> yeah. So Jack confesses to Picard and Beverly and Crash that he can astral project. And Crash is like, yeah, I seen him do it. it it's fucked up. He can, he can like fully being John Malkovich, your body. Except she doesn't make it weird. <laughs> like, I think you could easily miss on this moment, if you're her describing it the way that she does, like yeah. there is no gross connotation to it. Yeah, she doesn't say your son was briefly inside me earlier today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would last longer, but it was just for a couple of moments. And it was a moment where I thought I was going to die. It seemed like it was a, a real triumph for him, but it was no big whoop for me. So an idea is floated here that if Jack can just do a little puppetry of the password with someone on the bridge, <laughs> maybe they can take back control of the ship. This is a great idea. Yeah. Put in the code that uh, only the captain knows. I love this. And so uh, the, the Bajoran dude that's down at the end of the assembled bridge crew, without really looking at the screen, reaches out to a nearby panel and starts punching in a code that Picard is rattling off to Jack. This is hard to do if you've tried to unlock your iPhone without looking at the pad. Like, right, oh yeah, tricky stuff. And Good job by this guy. Yeah, but he doesn't quite get it and Vanek catches him and overrides the override, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. Vanek knows about this, this astral projection thing. Oh my, 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 is that you? In there, Jack Crusher. Yeah, by looking into this officer's eyes, she sees the remnants of the Teen Wolf. And she goes back onto the 1MC to announce that the deadline has now passed. And to hear Amanda Plummer say the word execute is big fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because uh, she starts bringing people to their knees. And this is a, a dramatic flourish that's really great. Like, you think Mira, the Cindy Lou of the bridge crew... Who was no more than two. ...is going to get it, because she's the one that's brought down first. Yeah, and then the Bajoran guy is brought down. Seems like it might be him. Yeah. She definitely hates him because he mentions that he has a son. My son. Who else has a son? Picard. So, right. just... You know, makes her think about somebody that she doesn't like. It's so weird to hear that name pronounced that way because I'm used to hearing it as Picard. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I, I kind of flubbed the pronunciation there. I'm sure we'll get letters. Uh-huh. But uh, she winds up wasting Lieutenant Taveen, the yeah. bald-headed Vulcan lady in the science outfit. She catches one to the dome. Very upsetting for everybody. Seven's really got to be... Uh, feeling bad about uh, the way Shaw chewed her out now. If you're primarily interested in being a bad guy who's just a messy bitch who's into drama, <laughs> would you set your phaser 
to gore the way that you do? Or would you do the kill while leaving the body as kind of a horrible thing to have at your feet? Yeah. In the scenes that follow, you know? It's a pretty powerful symbol for everybody to have there lying in front of them. That's what I'm saying. But makes cleanup a breeze. Sure. When your face is set to gore. Yeah. Over on the Shrike, Riker and Troy are doing a bit of couples counseling where she is also the counselor. That's not fair. You know, like they, they got to patch their marriage up before they can save the day, right? It's nice to finally hear what all went on. Yeah. In their household after the, the death of their son, because only hearing it from Riker's perspective, he has glossed over some facts here that actually make Troy look worse. Like the idea of Troy digging around in Riker's brains to kind of put the bowling bumpers on his emotions during the grief. Uh, that is a real invasion. Yeah. In this scene, Troy tries to defend it as, as like, you know, you're falling apart. You're my husband and I love you. And I, and I had to do whatever I could to like keep your clay pot together. Right. But like they ultimately like what they have is a total difference in opinion about what it means to help someone in a moment of grief. And Troy's doing the work for him was not what Riker needed. Yeah. She tried to get him onto a trauma shortcut and uh, it didn't work. And I think they both wound up feeling really guilty about it in mm -hmm. a way that I feel like a lot of disputes in relationships can wind up feeling like yeah. there's the kind of fight where you both feel like you were right and the other person was wrong. And then there's the kind of fight where you both feel like you were wrong and yeah. and, and you both fucked up, but yeah. you're kind of focused on your own error. And this really feels like that. And they sort of, Turn it into like doing bits on what a shithole Nepenthe is. <laughs> is this representative of a season three kind of stomping the first two seasons of Picard here? Like <laughs> the mistaken belief that they would ever be happy living in a place like Nepenthe and who would write us there? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? They kind of turn toward the camera. Mm -hmm. It's an episode of the show called The Banshees of Nepenthe Sheeran. <laughs> I just don't like you no more. Uh, <laughs> One thing I do want to say is that when Troy pulls Riker's giant bearded anvil head into her body for one of those stand-up sit-down hugs, yeah. I love how that looks. Like, that's just a great blocking decision yeah. in a scene. That's great. Really good. I also love when the eyes wide shut bad guy marches down and is, like, about to start harassing them in the cell the music cue that plays when the Batleth plunges through his chest from the back. Yeah. Wow. So great. So fun to hear that. This fucking guard gets positively kebobbed from behind. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. And the uh, Worf doesn't like getting hugged bit continues as well. Worf doesn't like getting hugged, but he likes giving verbal hugs to other people because when Worf sees Troy and starts reciting words that he's clearly prepared for the occasion. <laughs> it is big fun. Yeah. I, I want to say this right now. I think Worf is the best written character of season three. Like, whoever is on that for him is so fucking on it. Yeah, it's really fun. I also really <laughs> liked that 
nothing that Worf is saying is inappropriate, but it feels inappropriate to Riker because Worf has never been that vulnerable in like a group setting with yeah. people. And so Riker's just not used to it. Yeah. <laughs> and is like totally off his mooring as Worf, uh, you know, bears his soul a little bit to Troy. <laughs> the music does something special here because it pivots from Klingon motif into Federation jailbreak motif. And I feel like this is a kind of music that we've heard before in Star Trek movies, and it's great. Yeah. We must leave. First, there's something you must see. So uh, they have a cloaked shuttle right outside the Shrike. I thought it would be the La Serena, but it's not. Where where the fuck is it? It's still parked on Metallus 3, probably. I guess. Up on blocks. Yeah. A bunch of fucking spray paint on the side of it. The median income of Metallus 3 <laughs> is below the poverty line, which is why drug abuse has run rampant in District 6. In order to appeal to this market, John is going to have to come up with simple cocktails that bring the ladies in the door. <laughs> uh, back with uh, Picard, Beverly, and Jack, Crash says the obvious. No one can break this computer code without Data's help. Yeah. So they meet up with Jordy and the android to try to convince him to drop the partition between Data and Lore. And the shibboleth that Picard and Jordy exchange to establish that neither is a gold makes Picard look like such a fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the tradition of absolutely rocking Picard's balls season to season continues. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was so mean about Jordy's taste in wine. What the hell? Yeah. Not everyone has the same taste, Picard. People like different things. It's okay. Yeah. So they start making preparations for the partition drop. Jordy is sufficiently convinced that this is their only chance. But it's going to take time. And to buy them time, Jack is going to go turn himself in. Right. And that's the dun-dun-dun when we cut to the matrix where Laura and data are talking about the symbols of memory. This really reminded me of that Q and Picard afterlife scene in tapestry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Data collects these trinkets, these like houndstooth deer stalker hats and, you know, pipes and things from his adventures in the holodeck. A perfect latex mold of like just the pelvis of Tasha Yar, the creature that he says Lulululu to. Why is there like a fuckable orifice in both <laughs> legs of the pelvis and also the top part of the pelvis? Yeah. And what's that hexagonal glass base on it? What's that about? Laura <laughs> is just going to take these things. Yeah. Because data makes that easy. Yeah. When the partition drops, it's like a force field going down between them, and Laura just helps himself. Whenever he does the helping, there seems to be a little bit of an electric shock to Data, though, too. So there's like an emotional pain happening here, but a physical pain, too. Yeah. Data does not seem to even want to try and stop Laura. Like there's they've talked about like the ethical subroutines of Data would never let him like kill Lore, which would, you know, involve him like erasing the Lore stuff in the in the golem. And that's not what Data's doing here. There was kind of an ugly subtext to this that I don't know if you felt, but like 
I was a bullied kid when I was really young. And like the idea that you just take it until the bully becomes bored and leaves you alone is sort of the lesson here in a way that I didn't like and made me feel uncomfortable. Like I want a dated punch lore in the fucking face. Yeah. Android fight would have been cool, but yeah, they play it a little bit differently. Like just swinging limbs at each other. <laughs> Elsewhere, it looks like we're on the Shrike, and this was a location that I didn't really put together until we saw Picard's body. Like I thought we were on the, the cloaked shuttle. Yeah. But we're no, still on the Shrike. We're still on the Shrike, and this is uh, the thing... Last time we were on the Shrike, Worf said, like, there's something I have to show you before we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what he has to show them is the the remains, the human remains of Picard, the pre-Golem remains. And turns out they took parts of this body's brain out of it. It looks like they also took his penis and genitals. <laughs> because you see that smoothed over part, right? Why the hell would they want that? Yeah, yeah. What are they doing with my testicles? (laughs) (laughs) Not another clone. Oh, no. Vatic has taken Captain Picard's penis and testicles (laughs) in order to make the strongest weapon in the galaxy. You're serving that as a sausage? (laughs) You're going to kill somebody. So they do the quick scan of the body and they're like, well, uh, some brain matter has been removed. We don't know why. And then the alarm goes off on the Shrike. So they got to get the fuck out. We need to score a lot of black fast. licensed businessmen. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, 
and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Vatic is about to execute her second crew member when Jack comes off the turbo lift holding... It looked like a like a grenade type thing, and it looked very similar to the thermal detonator in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. Like the computer is narrating the scene and says like unknown object in hand or something like that. No one does that thing that I love, which is he's got a grenade. <laughs> Everybody down. Yeah. He basically is jokering, right? He's like he's yeah. He's come into the room. With a grenade attached to his uh, his jacket. And it's not that it's going to kill her. It's that it's going to kill him. He's the prize. Jack's like, you could have all of me. Or like the Ashley Simpson song, you could have pieces of me after this grenade goes off. <laughs> <laughs> and Vatic is just fucking confused by the reference. Yeah, Vatic is like, I don't listen to hip hop. <laughs> but back with the android... Jordy and company just kind of watch helplessly as all of the red dots take over the blue dots. And back in the liminal space, 
Data is holding the one thing not even Lore would care about, Tasha Yar's eulogy hologram. Except Lore takes that too. Lore takes it all. He wants all of it. I thought that LeVar Burton did something truly incredible with his voice as he was talking about watching the red dots sweep Mm -hmm. through the field of dots in the head. Mm -hmm. He goes so low. He he gets like into this tremble level of his voice where it sounds like he is about to burst into tears. And that is really one of the like amazing strengths of LeVar Burton as an actor is how much voice control he has. Like what an instrument he made that over seven years of playing an actor whose eyes you couldn't see. Well, over a career of making his voice the main thing about his programming that people love, like through the reading of things. He's really amazing to hear do this, and uh, the scene hit super hard for his performance in it. Yeah, because you're not just in that space, you're outside looking in, and you're, you're living the horror of what looks like Data giving up. We're about to lose Data forever. That's like part of the tragedy is it's not just Data losing, but Data choosing to lose. Right. And seeming so guileless about it, like so yeah. unwilling to even defend himself. Like they whip the camera over at Picard and he's like, he's really acting like a B4 <laughs> right now. It's as if Lore is just throwing ball after ball at his head and he's, he's just unable to catch it. It's like, is he B4 or is he L7? Hard to tell the difference right now. Back on the bridge, Seven has decided to remain to watch what happens between Jack and Vatic. Everyone else is sort of ushered into the conference room in the back. Yeah. And Jack asks Vatic what the hell this is about. And you think this is going to be the scene where you learn what all this is all of this is about. <laughs> you really think so, don't you? Yeah, because that was sort of the promise of the end of the last <laughs> episode was like uh-huh. We're about to find out. Here it is. And How about new? This is the part I was talking about at the top of the episode about like not really getting super far down the road yeah. of story. Like I know a lot happens, but story-wise, we're kind of stuck here. The Jack mystery stays on the table. It's yeah. it's very interesting that she knows about the voices and the red door, like mm-hmm. that that is like imagery that is it's not just something that his head is making up. It's so fucked up, too, because Vatic is there and is like, you'd like to go inside the red door, wouldn't you? And Jack's like, yeah. And Vatic's like, well, there is a two-drink minimum once you get in there, and you aren't allowed to touch anyone behind the red door. Mm, mm. And Jack's like, well, I guess I can live with that. And Vatic's like, also, everyone back there is fully clothed. So, <laughs> like, legally, that's the way it's got to be. And Jack's like, what's the yeah. point? Why is it so expensive? Yeah. <laughs> Why do I need to bring like $1,500 in singles? Strip clubs depend on drunks to spend money without thinking about it, even though they see absolutely no nudity. Local regulations define nudity as any skin below the top of the chest, even if it's a changeling bearing at all. While technically not the same species as human, inspections can shut a restaurant down for good. You're really great at this. (laughs) Is he ready to see behind the red door? We won't get an answer until much later because Jordy is now counting down the seconds ahead of a total loss of data. And in that liminal space, data keeps giving it up 
to lore and not even fighting. And even lore at a certain point is like, you think I want your deck of cards? Yeah, I love harming people. And part of the juice for me is watching the pain. I'm not getting any pain from this. Yeah, I've got barely a chubby at this point. (laughs) And finally, Data gives lore his cat spot. I hate cats. Data's cat spot. I love cats. Which is maybe the perfect weapon against an unsuspecting person who craves affection (laughs) from someone or something that's incapable of giving it. Like, you know this is the trap, right? I thought that this was an amazing twist in this episode that lore doesn't realize that he is violently allergic to cats. And just when you think... Laura has completely overtaken data and all of the dots have gone to red. Laura starts sneezing and swelling yeah. up. You can't really tell, but Brent Spiner's face gets pretty puffy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Spot is like uncomfortable in Laura's arms because, you know, like cats can kind of tell the, the people that are allergic to them and, uh-huh. and takes a couple of swats at Laura. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it for Laura. He, uh, <laughs> he turns into particles. <laughs> yeah. He's a particle man. I mean, like, as brothers, they're kind of opposites. And uh, what could be more opposite from Data than being deathly allergic to a cat? The reality is that Data has created a kind of poison pills scenario where he knows Lore wants to take all of his special things as trophies. And in doing that, has poisoned Lore into becoming Data. Because according to the philosophical architecture of this episode, like the possession of a memory makes you the owner of that memory. And by transferring all of those memories to lore, lore becomes data. Your life story is your identity. And so when lore takes data's identity, he's taking data into himself. Right. What I love about this scene is like everybody that's watching this in the room like gets to go through the third death of data grief all over again. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just as painful for them as if he died, but then he comes back and he's like, Hey, I'm back. I'm not totally data, but I'm I'm pretty much data. They like plug him into the ship, he gets the ship back like instantly. They get on the the radio and the shuttle is coming over from the Shrike. With the whole gang on board. I don't know where the boulder was found, but once that thing rolls over <laughs> and Data Christ emerges. <laughs> and starts fucking killing bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Just like in the Bible. The Bible is an ancient tome of <laughs> <laughs> stories comprising an Old Testament, Psalms, and a New Testament. <laughs> Data gets right to work. Yeah. And the cloaked shuttle with Riker, Raffi, Worf, and Troy happens to be unrooted in the same time. Yeah. He brings them aboard. Raffi, like, knife fights her way through a bunch of changelings, which looked great, but was pretty dumb. (laughs) Like, don't those guys all have guns? I think this was like a gift to Michelle Hurd, who is great, but just doesn't have a lot to do. And she gets this great action sequence in a hallway. Yeah. Kind of like how... Michelle Yeoh was a little bit wasted on Discovery, yeah. except for scenes like this. Why does Star Trek have such a hard time giving women named Michelle who are superlative actors interesting things to do with their roles? Yeah. The anti-Michelle sentiment is pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. 
Jack's bomb, it turns out, was like a personal shield that makes a dome around him and Seven. Yeah, what do you what do you make of both Jack and Seven getting dome here? Yeah, wild. And <laughs> and together but not to each other? Yeah. Yeah. Simultaneous dome is yeah. what they get. And when Picard blows the evacuation hatch, we learn that it's just the view screen opening up. Yeah. Then it gets alien queened. And uh, Seven gets to do the the Harrison Ford line in the episode. Get off my bridge. Fucking solid. She flies out, and I was like, I was looking very carefully to see if one of her hands fell off. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Because I kind of thought that that might be (laughs) what was going on. Yeah, does the hand spare itself? The hands are both there when they show her tumbling through space, freezing, and then... She like shatters against the hull of the Shrike and then they blow up the Shrike. Jerry Ryan gets two great line reads in this episode. One of them is that Air Force One read and the other one is a great fire. Yeah. This is an almost Robert Beltran level fire. Fire! Yeah, she learned from the best. You can't learn from any better than Beltran. Yeah. In my mind, best in the business fire right there. Yeah, they they did breaks the... The courtesy of him not being on the bridge for this. No one mentions that along with the Shrike being destroyed, also Picard's body. Yeah. Like, did they bring it on the shuttle? Here's one of my issues with the episode. Everything having to do with the shuttle is unseen. And maybe they did bring the body back. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, we're fairly certain it was left behind because they had to leave in a hurry, but... Man, maybe they beamed it over? They could have beamed it over when they beamed over themselves, right? Yeah. Do they want it? Do they need it for anything? Does Picard have any connection to it? Maybe this is for the best. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I'm stuck here now in this golem. (laughs) In a moneyless future, can the Daystrom Institute provide any kind of reward for recovery of lost materiel? I'm sure they'd have to. Yeah. Did Picard know that that was there also? (laughs) Like, it's weird that they had his body. It would have hit pretty hard if Picard got a scene with it, and he never does. That's probably the most interesting argument yet for they did recover it, because- To give us that scene later? I sort of wonder if they're writing in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I like that we don't know, honestly. Like, I like that that shuttle is, is a bit of a mystery. Was it the same cloaking device on the shuttle as they used to cloak the Titan? This is what I'm talking about, man. Like, when the Titan cloaks, are we just leaving the cloaking device on the shuttle and it's fired from there? <laughs> that kind of makes sense yeah. as a thing. I don't hate that. Hmm. Elsewhere on the Titan, Troy is overcome by a darkness. Yeah. On the ship. And it really makes you wonder who the darkest person aboard is. Yeah. It's like overwhelming her. She almost like falls over how dark the darkness is. It's like all the suppressed feelings that Worf has been working on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He hasn't blasted in like two decades. Oof. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine two Klingon dicks just firing off 20 years of pent up cum? It's going to come out like braided ropes. (laughs) Braided hot pink ropes. (laughs) 
Because it's bloody Jesus. <laughs> Fucking Christ. That's how bad he's backed up. <laughs> this Klingon hasn't blasted in over two decades, resulting in a thick, viscous back of, of bloody semen. You can't put that as a condiment on a hot dog? What's wrong with you? You're growing Klingon mushrooms in the walk-in. <laughs> if you don't spend all night cleaning this, I'm not redoing your bar. <laughs> back with Data, he seems fine. Like, he doesn't need time away. He's back to work. Yeah. Nice that uh, Pinocchio got to experience aging. He's yeah. gotten to experience everything else up to and including death, but aging, not. Yeah. There's a great little scene where he and Jordy kind of like get back on like right where they got off the ride. I think that we really needed a scene between the two of them in this way because like their characters were such a special friendship in TNG and the bond between them is really honored by this moment, I thought. It is, but I found something awkward about the turn and walk to camera part of this. Hmm. Something felt weird about it in that I might have uh, reverse shotted the walk away from camera instead of walk toward and past it. Interesting. I don't know. There was just a funny expression on both of these actors during, and it made me wonder if like this was the rehearsal and not the real or something. Hmm. Something just felt a little off by it. I don't know. Well, they get up to the conference room for a good old-fashioned McLaughlin group. Issue one. And it's one of those meetings that starts with a lot of small talk. Mm -hmm. the, the group has not been together like this in a long time, and they have to kind of reconnect. I mean, I love the scene for its great emotion of getting the band back together, but fucking Beverly thinking that she can just go, yeah, I know I ghosted y'all for 20 years, <laughs> But I did think about you a lot, and that making it all good? Terrible look for Beverly Crusher. <laughs> that does not make it right, Bev. Yeah, but they do have more pressing matters right now, which is the uh, impending destruction of the entire fleet at Star Trek Day or whatever. Yeah. So uh, they start talking about like the dark that's around and through Jack. It's not that Jack is dark, but there's darkness. It's like he's wearing a dark jacket. Right. And uh, a dark action jacket, if you will. <laughs> Troy has an interesting line here. She says, there's a voice inside him, ancient and weak, but a voice that isn't his own. I wonder what, what like, is that voice that's ancient and weak related to uh, the hand? That seemed like ancient and strong. I mean, do you think there's a version of this that went dank and vile? And then they rewrote it as ancient and weak to to put us off the scent. <laughs> like, what would happen if you combined Armus with the changelings? Yeah. They both live in a puddle. Is that more of a salad dressing type suspension? Or or like if you shake them up, are they yeah. are they commingling? Armus is really the diarrhea to the changelings sea of urine. Go on. He is like a dark puddle that sucks, and they are a gold puddle that sucks. Oh, okay, I see. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I could see there being a collabo there. I think they'd be on the same side of the chaos spectrum, you know? Yeah. So Troy volunteers to do therapy on him, and when the Titan goes to cloak, we see that first session between Troy and Jack. 
And have we ever seen Troy hold hands with a patient this way? This would have made Barkley absolutely rope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we have our answer why she didn't do it then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I guess maybe Seven told her about the red door because Seven was on the bridge when Vatic talked about it. Is it that or is she drawing that information out of him through his hands? Whoa. Dang. Yeah. I don't know. We get so close to this door, Ben. Yeah. Right up on it. This episode does end like almost exactly the same way as the last episode ended. It's like, we're going to find out like in the first 30 seconds of the next episode what the answer is. You could make a supercut of the red door being the last (laughs) shot of an episode of this season. (laughs) It's starting to drive me nuts. Is it hell back there? Sort of looked like it might be hell when you got the close up on the keyhole. Oh. So is this maybe Ardra? Oh, you are not Feklar, Adam. No? I mean, Ardra was a, a con artist, right? Yeah. Yeah, she was not the real devil. Yeah. Hmm. Is it Carl's Hole? It doesn't really seem like Carl rolls like this. No. He keeps a cleaner hole also than this <laughs> one with all the, all the root system yeah. growing around it. Yeah. Is it the door to Gary Seven's apartment and Wesley's going to be back there? traveling all of space and time. Hey, nerds! They have not really mentioned that Jack is has a, a half-brother that travels all of space and time. They sure haven't been. <laughs> and I think the show might be better for it. <laughs> I mean, also, Vadik called Jack baby boy in this mm-hmm. episode and seemed to have, a, like, almost an affection for him. As if maybe Vadik created Jack. So did Picard not rope inside Beverly in that case? I mean, either physical Jack was taken without Beverly's knowledge and modified by Vatic, or real Jack was killed and replaced. Right. Right? Yeah. I think we can be fairly certain that either of those things is, has happened here. Something along those lines, but uh, we don't know yet. And uh, we only have two episodes left to find out the awful truth. But did you like this episode, Adam? When you just said that, Ben, it just made me think of how the compression of story time yet to take place feels stressful to me. Like, the main, the A story of this season has yet to be unpacked at all. We don't even know what's in Bay 12 back at the at the museum, you oh, know? Man. I want to know what's in Bay 12. And we got to go back there and get it. If two more episodes go by and no Bay 12 revelation happens, I'm going to fucking kick the window out of my office and run into the streets. Here's what I'll say very briefly about whether or not I like the episode. I am feeling teased by this show for its reluctance to give us anything about the A story. I am delighted by everything else. Like... The data story was was told well and emotionally. Yeah. I liked springing Riker out of prison, mostly because I think the show is better when he's a character in it. Yeah. We've taken too much time away from Riker. And I'm I'm really curious about how they wrap this up. I'm really hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. We're going to see a fleet in the next episode, Ben. Like that much I would bet on. Like we're going to go to Frontier Day and... 
I am hoping to be absolutely blown away by what Frontier Day looks like in terms of scope. Pretty exciting, actually. I hope they didn't save anything for the swim back, you know? I agree. Yeah. There was a a press photo of LeVar Burton, you know, in his leather engineering costume, and the background looked like the D. Interesting. And I just wonder if there is going to be a galaxy class part of Frontier Day in a way that does the final zhuzhing, that like gets us over the top as a Star Trek fan collective yeah. in a way that would be very satisfying. I hope so. Man, speaking of those leather costumes, like when they're in those all around the, the table, they just look great, I thought. They look a little butchery to me, like, like butcher smock style. Hmm. But they got the like perforation so they don't get too hot. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It's nice seeing the gang back together. Yeah. Around a table, making mm. plans. Yeah. Talking things through. What about you, Ben? I really like this episode. I was very surprised that they shattered Vatic at this point in the season. I mean, is the hand the bad guy or the door or the people of the hand? Who's the bad guy? Yeah, like it doesn't seem like Vanek is the boss villain and, you know, maybe the thing that's talking to Vanek through the hand is transmitting that into the hand and using something about the changeling nature of Vanek to communicate with her. What made Vanek's story interesting was the reason for her revenge, like what reason does the hand have that is greater than Vatic's? And do we have enough time to articulate the reason for that? Right. I think I would understand it if it was Armis. I think I would understand it if it was a nub and bug. Yeah. But very few other big bads would make sense. <laughs> Our show was recently name-checked in a Den of Geek article having to do with the theory that maybe this is all about making a Locutus and giving a Locutus with changeling powers to the Borgs. Right. What do you make of that theory? I mean, it would be the most obvious big villain to have been pulling the strings the entire time. It's sort of implied by the dispute with Shaw at the beginning of the season. If you can't be assimilated, like working with the Borgs would be fine and safe for you, right? Like if you're a bad guy? Yeah. Yeah. But I, th I think I'd be a maybe a little bit sad if it was just another Borg thing, ultimately. I would be disappointed if it were a make another Picard thing, which it seems going toward, or a Borg thing, just because of the retread nature of that story. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not worried right now, I guess I'll say, you know? Yeah, it feels like we've been in pretty good hands up until now. Yeah, and I'm very curious and excited to see where it goes. I, I think there's a couple of pitfalls that I can see. But you got to stick the landing. Yeah, we will see if they can stick the landing. It's their game to lose right now, I would say. If you don't stick this landing, is there enough good this season to make it feel like it was fun and worthwhile? I think so. Like, I'm saying this, we have not gotten our screeners for episode nine and 10. This is the last of the screeners we've gotten at this moment in time. I'm feeling pretty great about this season regardless. 
Yeah. Like they could totally eat shit on the next two episodes and I'd still feel like this was an exercise worth doing. I don't want to go there. Like, I don't think that they will. I'm not like rooting for bad, but if they eat shit hard enough to make it all seem bad in retrospect, that would be pretty gutting, I think. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants that feeling. No. Uh, You know what feeling a lot of people want, Adam, is the feeling of hearing some Priority One messages. Oh yeah, I'm going to go head that way. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first Priority One message is from Ken. It's to Ben and Adam, and it goes like this. Glitter, 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 glitter. Love the shows, and hopefully the hundred dollars offsets this bad bit moment. Well, we'll see, Ken. (laughs) Yeah, interesting choice by Ken to not get the uh, promotional message. Mm. Given the damage done to your studio space. (laughs) What do you think, Ben? Glitter bombed in the P1 section. Yeah. (laughs) I I didn't mind that one. That one, you know, not as much of a mess to clean up. Any apology that comes with money (laughs) is, is better than nothing. And uh, yeah, that's more than we've gotten before on worse occasions. True. Ben, our second priority one message is from Patrick in Virginia, and it's to Ben and Adam and the Goose. That message goes like this. I'm verklempt listening to the Music of Trek episode while at the National Air and Space Museum amid IRL examples of the same themes of discovery and hope you're discussing on the pod. Ah. It's that spirit. And the stray autoerotic asphyxiation jokes that endears me to your podcast. (laughs) Thanks for keeping my love of space and Trek and dick jokes alive. Oh, thanks, Patrick. Patrick's referring to a very fun episode we did with the goose not that long ago. Yeah, that's right here on Greatest Trek. Go back in your feed. I think it was like one or two episodes before Star Trek Picard started. And I thought that was a great conversation. We got to have the goose back on more often. Yeah. He's one of the greatest. He's got a great show. God, like a notably great podcast episode he did was about cancel culture. And I was like, oh, man, what is worth it to you to wander into that subject? <laughs> like, you got everything, Goose. Just yeah. just don't talk about that shit. <laughs> but he was so smart and articulate and nuanced about that whole thing. It just made me really proud to count him as a friend. He's a great guy. I know. His ability to like engage on a really deep level with a tricky subject, mm-hmm. it's always remarkable to me. I don't know why a genius like the Goose gives a shit about our show, but it's really great that he does. Well, even geniuses need fun, and I I understand our <laughs> utility to someone like that. Yeah. But uh, thank you to Patrick and Ken for getting priority on messages. If you would like to get a P1 on the show, it is MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to book it today. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? For me, it's Worf, and it's for a very specific moment. So the gang after springing Riker from prison, Mm. gets back together. And when Worf rounds a hallway, he sees Raffi working on some computing. Yeah. And his level of authentication is to be like, Raffiella. And she's like, yeah, it's me. 
<laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Worf, you suck at security. <laughs> You're so bad at this. You've been working on yourself and you didn't do anything to work on your core skill. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It makes me think worse of Ro Laren in retrospect for trusting <laughs> that fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> he does not seem trustworthy. Man. And that's what makes him my Edward Larkin. What do you have, Ben? Uh, <laughs> that scene was also very funny to me, Adam. I don't. I can't argue a point any better than that. Right. I'm going to join you on the wharf square. Yeah. Can't go wrong choosing wharf no. for an Edward Larkin if you're a little lost on who no. to pick. And uh, that'll help his overall case of being like the all-time drunkest Shimoda, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Adam, we always like to close out our episodes of this show with a little warning, a warning bois to those who would not appreciate our program, but a, uh, a welcome in to those who would. And uh, we get messages from folks all over the internet, and we like to read them out here on the show. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. This one is uh, was not posted publicly somebody slid into the dms on the greatest trek instagram account this is from alicia hi again i just wanted to share a possible warning boy if dms account on a recent episode adam thought of a y2k bit flicking the power on and off for a laugh during the paranoia well my dad did that i was in eighth grade and having a new year's eve party and right before midnight he snuck into the garage and switched off the power as we counted down it was chaos for a few minutes. All the best to you and the pod team. Wow. That's a legendary dad joke. That's taking a once in a lifetime opportunity and capitalizing on it. I know Alicia <laughs> believes that part of her story is the A story. <laughs> but to me, the main part of what she told us is that on New Year's Eve, she had a party as an eighth grader. Wow. <laughs> what must that have been like? <laughs> I don't even think I went to a party until I was a senior in high school. <laughs> An eighth grader having a New Year's Eve party? Wow. Alicia sounds cool as hell. Well, if you'd like to leave a warning, bois, mostly we like these to be like your uh, Apple podcast review or a post on a social media platform. Because it helps get the word out about the show. But I just thought Alicia's story was really funny. So glad you shared it. Yeah, crawl up in those DMs if you've got a, another warning, boy. That's that's yet another method yeah. to get our attention. Before we go, we should also say a, a quick thank you to uh, everyone who supported in the Max Fund Drive. Oh, yeah. You probably heard that at the top of the show. But uh, just to reiterate, we are humbled and honored by your support. And I know that the folks who can't afford to support are also... Really appreciative that you did. Yeah, thanks so much for making sure this show can continue in the short-term future. It really makes a huge difference in our ability to do cool stuff for FODs. So thanks a lot. Well, with that, we are going to throw the keys to Wendy to take us home with some credits. I hope you'll listen to Greatest Gen on Monday. And uh, after the show, you might hear a little something about the next episode. Who knows? Oh, that's exciting. I hope we get screeners for this next episode of Picard. Fingies crossed, Adam. I'm starting to freak out. 
Later, team. It's been emotional. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 9 of Star Trek Picard. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who got involved with Max Fun Drive this year. We really appreciate your support. Just in case you missed it, you can always go to MaximumFun.org slash join to set up your membership anytime. And if you're wondering about other ways to support the show for free, you can recommend it to someone that you know or leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That also really helps. Thank you to Adam Ragusea for creating the original music for Greatest Trek. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Dittmore created the show art and Bill Tilly manages the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. You can also connect with a lot of other friends of DeSoto on the USS Hood Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.